Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. I'm alongside, as usual, my dad, Chris Baker. Here's what we have on the menu for you guys today. We will talk about our visit to Rogers Center. The Tampa Bay Rays are exploring being a two-city team. The Blue Jays have an attendance problem. We'll discuss it a little bit. Uh, and we'll talk about who deserves the uh, Jays all-star nod. Spoiler, it's Edwin Jackson. How are you today? <laughs> Edwin Jackson? That was not a spoiler in any way. Of course he deserves it. <laughs> yeah. He um, deserves, you know what? He deserves to be there just to watch. You know who? He, you know what he should do? He <laughs> should just pitch the entire home run derby. <laughs> he should. He should pitch the totally. entire home run just the every single pitch, yeah. Except the home run derby will just never end. It'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be it'll home run derby you've ever seen. Um, best part about driving to Toronto yesterday was definitely on Baseball Central when Jeff Blair says, "You know what else starts with 12? Edwin Jackson's ERA." So we'll take color number twelve and send them to the Blue Jays <laughs> game tomorrow. That was pretty good. I have to, I have to give him full kudos on that one. And in fact, I think he enjoyed his own joke on that one too, if I remember listening correctly. But um, yeah, twelve, twelve. Yeah, that is just not good. Yet when he's healthy, he's still in our team's rotation. At the moment, he is injured and he's on the IL, so he's not playing. You know who doesn't take any IL stints though? Max Scherzer. How about no. that? Eh? Yeah. I mean, he he pitched yesterday. Oh, with, laser eye. With a broken nose, a black eye, a brown eye, and a blue eye. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy, this guy was insane yesterday. And he struck out 10 batters in seven innings. I that think that's was what the it was. best take of any show. I guarantee <laughs> it right now. That was the best take of any show. Max like, Scherzer takes, takes the mound with a broken nose, a black eye. <laughs> A brown eye and a blue eye. Like, it. your team's ace couldn't do that. Let's be honest. Like, Max Scherzer, though, he, that was insane. Did you, I, hope, I hope everyone at home saw the video of Max Scherzer uh, bunting a ball off of his face with a broken nose and then coming out that night and saying about the doubleheader against Philadelphia the next day, I'm pitching, I'm going to pitch, expect me to pitch. So, you know what? Props to Max Scherzer for going out there and just dominating the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he went out there with all three different colors of eyes and, uh, and, and a broken nose and dominated. And, I mean, that just shows – it kind of speaks to, you know, certain pitchers who go out and have a blister every day, right? I mean – That wasn't know, a shot at anyone. You know. No, or a broken nail that falls off. Or, okay, that's uh, a little that's a little traumatizing. I saw the image of that. Yeah, yeah. I well, will I mean, never it just, recover. It's just interesting that one pitcher can have seven different colors of an eye and uh, and a broken nose, and and I get that it's not on this pitching hand, and that's the first thing Twitter arguments will will, will go to. But let's face it, Aaron Sanchez is awful. I'm just gonna say the name. He's terrible. We saw him at Rogers Center. Great segue to our visit. Go. On Wednesday, we had the privilege of going to Rogers Center and taking in the game against the Angels from great seats right behind the dugout while also getting on-field passes from our good friend Scott MacArthur. So thanks, Scott MacArthur. So thanks a lot, Scott, for getting us the passes. And huge that thanks. That was awesome. Huge thanks to Bob Pickin, one of my coaches, former head coach, now coach, I guess. Yes, he's a coach. He's I a would coach. call him a roving coach. He's roving, roving coach. the London Tecumseh's potentially as we speak. <laughs> 
perhaps roving between teams. Yes, uh, delivering his message, his coaching message, and uh, thank you, yes, to Bob for uh, for those tickets, which were awesome front row tickets, and uh, and of course, thank you uh, from myself as well to Scott MacArthur for getting us into the BP uh, the row there and and making sure that we got a chance to see and and meet some players and meet him and meet uh, uh, Dan Schulman as well, who was a great guest on this on this show. So very very exciting day. Oh, it was a fantastic day. And uh, like you mentioned, we saw Aaron Sanchez pitch. He was not good. Um, it was an 11-6 to slugfest final. The J- There's a shock. But uh, we went down there and we learned some new things. I mean, one thing that really stuck out to me was how much work the players really put in. Like, you don't tend to get the opportunity to see all the players before and during BP. It's not like an everyday thing for people like us. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Freddie Galvis were taking ground balls together for an hour before they even took BP. And the outfielders were constantly grinding with the uh, fly ball machines in the outfield, working with the lights, working with Mark Budzinski, the outfield coach. It was really it was really good to see. And, I mean, you see how much the coaches were, were grinding. I mean, you saw the BP pitchers uh, getting ready and making sure that they, their pitches were okay for the hitters. And that must be a lot of, a lot of pitches you've got to throw as a BP pitcher. But they were working hard at that. Uh, John Schneider was very involved yesterday. Shelly Duncan also very involved. And then, of course, you saw Louis Rivera working with Freddie Galvis and Vlad Guerrero Jr. at third base. You saw Mark Budzinski with the outfielders. It was really, really cool to see. Um, the lights, by the way, were super, super bright. And I don't know if, you ever, if, if you've ever had the, shot, the chance to uh, go over to Rogers Center and look directly into the lights, but I wouldn't recommend doing it. Um, <laughs> there was a lot going on during BP. But what stuck out to you the most out of that entire day? You know, what stuck out to me the most is that this ferocious team has seven of its players out there at batting practice. I mean, that that's not okay. That is not okay. Uh, I loved the fact that Galvis was out there with Guriel and with uh, with uh, we saw Biggio out there too. We did. Biggio we saw we saw there. Biggio, Guriel, Galvis, Hernandez, Hernandez, Danny like, Jansen. So, like it was basically only the young guys. Like I mean, the has everybody given up? I mean, yes, you should, but <laughs> the reality is like. You're still ball players. You still potentially could have value here. You could potentially be traded to a contender. Where are you? Why is Randall Gritchick not taking taking batting practice? You know, I mean, we saw Danny Jansen have to be tortured by taking batting practice after Vladdy Jr. Vladdy Jr. would hit lasers into the the seats, and we're just all ooing and aahing at them. And then poor Danny Jansen comes up and hits a nubber to the pitching mound. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, and the, the, the scary thing is, is I'm really proud of Danny Jansen for doing that. The kid's not hitting, and he's still trying to manage a pitching staff. He's still trying to be the defensive catcher they want him to be, and yet he's out there with these guys taking BP because he knows he's struggling, and he even struggled in BP. And, you know, you, you got to feel for the guy. But my point of this whole rant here is where was everyone else? The only guy who had an excuse not to be a BP yesterday was Marcus Stroman because he had just pitched the night prior and he wasn't out on the field, but I'm pretty sure he was in the clubhouse. So he was there. It wasn't like he showed up late. So Marcus Stroman was really the only guy that I had a, that I could think of a legitimate excuse for, for not being out at BP because that whole team is struggling right now, 
It's no secret. But the fact that we only saw Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Billy McKinney, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Freddie Galvis, and Danny Jansen. I think we saw Rowdy Tellez, too, taking BP. That's a problem. You can't have that. And the fact that this Not when team... the team's not hitting anything, Dylan. I mean, exactly. that's the thing. The team's and, but... not hitting a thing. They can't if... hit the broad side of a barn, and they're not out there practicing. They're not. No, granted, they could have been in the cage. But how many cages are there? Listen, I don't believe for one second Randall Gritchick was taking 400 pitches in a cage right now. He was not. He was not. They were out there. They're probably playing video games, whatever it is they're now. I know they're not allowed to play video games anymore, but whatever it is they're doing in the clubhouse, they weren't out there working on it. And this team is not going to progress in any way unless they're out there every single day working on it. Yeah, you know, I agree with you there. And uh, listen, this team, if the, if the Jays were dominating offensively right now, I can understand some of the guys not Absolutely. wanting to go out there and take BP. But the fact of the matter is, the team is terrible offensively at the moment. Yeah, they've scored, I think it's 5-5 in the game right now as we're recording, on th- being Thursday night, and they scored six runs yesterday. But besides that, the team has not been hitting. And they need to be out there, and they need to be swinging the bats, and they need to be working on it, because right now they're not, and there is just no dedication whatsoever from any of these guys out there and they're not it doesn't look like they're trying to better their situation which is a pretty terrible one if you ask anyone right now well because- Dylan, let me give you this i mean the the opposite that we saw was right across the field so the beautiful thing was we had a great 45 minute conversation with scott MacArthur in between the Blue Jays batting, batting practice and the angels batting practice and when the angels came out how many of them were out there I mean, literally one of the only guys that wasn't out there was Trout, and he doesn't need to be out there, right? Because he's hitting. Look what he did to the Jays in this series, right? But even in that, though not in that every- one game alone, he had right. seven right. RBI. Exactly. And even though not everybody took BP, almost everyone was out there. That outfield was loaded with Anaheim Angels practicing, throwing, taking grounders. The infield was taking grounders. And I get it. Some would argue, yeah, you're trying to, it's turf. They're not used to it. They all need to be out there. Fine. Use that argument if you have to. But the reality was, what I saw yesterday was very few Blue Jays out during BP, very few working in the field, very few pitchers. I think Sam Gaviglio came out and carried a baby for 40 minutes. <laughs> but I'm, I and you laugh, but you laugh, but that is literally what happened. There was no, there was no structure to anything that was happening on the field. I think Buck Martinez maybe coached three of the players at the time. It was one of the most disgusting displays of preparing for a game that I have ever seen, and and then it was followed by a team who showed exactly what you needed to do to prepare for a game. And, and if, if this team wants to progress, if this team wants to improve, they have to get out there, all of them, not just some of them, all of them have to get out there and work on it every single day. Yeah, you know what? It was, it was, it was very, very disappointing to see that not all of them were, that, were out there. And, and it's not only disappointing from a fan's point of view, because obviously we want to see all the players, but at the same time, you, you need to be out there working on your craft because right now they are struggling. And you know what? 
I'll take the uh, the London Majors as an example, since I am a broadcaster for them. They were struggling at the beginning of the year, but every single one of them was out there working on everything every day. Every BP that they had, every single player was out there. They were swinging bats. They were throwing bullpens. And look at them now. They're on a, they're on a steady climb up the standings. They've only been trending upwards uh, in the past few weeks, and it's been really good. I know they're an IBL team. They're not the MLB, but still... That is how you trend upwards if you're a team. You have to have everyone out there and everyone dedicated to working hard and getting better. And right now, we're not seeing that with the Blue Jays. Nope, we're not seeing that at all. And, and, and if we're seeing, where we're seeing it is in the results. I mean, you know, you look at it, and, and, and I feel bad for Vladdy today because, you know, the broadcast tonight was a little hard on him with his defense, and he did have a tough night. But, and tonight being Thursday, the, what is today? The 20th. 20th. I mean, I thought it was the 21st. Well, you're wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Thursday the 20th, um, and, and they were tough on him. But l- listen, I'll, I'll tell Jay's fans this that, don't, that haven't had a chance to watch BP. He was out there working. He was out there working. And, and if we want to twist this to a positive, the kids that were out there working, and I should just say the people, the players that were out there working, were the kids. Mm-hmm. All the young guys who want to be part of this future were the ones out there working. So if you're a Blue Jays fan listening to this, which I would say is the bulk of our listenership, the kids were out there working. But I'll tell you what, nobody else was. Anybody who even is a remote veteran was not out there. And that is terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know what? Props to the Anaheim Angels for showing the Blue Jays how it's done. And props to the little baby in the Vladdy, it's Vladdy time t-shirt that was there with us. That kid was a ball magnet. I think he got seven or eight balls just (laughs) by standing there playing with his Kung Fu Panda toy. Like that kid was insane. He was just getting balls Every two seconds from Freddie Galvis tossed him one, Vlad Guerrero tossed him one. There were so many players that just rolled him balls. And you and I were just looking. He's, he's got another one. He's got another one. He's got another one. How did yep. he get so many? I don't know. But props to that little kid for getting a ton of balls. Hashtag um, bring a baby. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what you got to do if you want uh, batting practice baseballs. Moving on to the Tampa Bay Rays, and it was announced today that they have been granted the right to explore playing in Montreal. Their plan is not necessarily to leave Tampa Bay, but rather playing half of their games in Tampa, with the other half being in Montreal. So the first half would be in St. Petersburg at Tropicana Field, unless they get a new stadium, and the other half would be up in Montreal, possibly at Olympic Stadium, likely at a new one that would need to be built. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Well, more details have come out, Dylan, and part of uh, the details are that both venues would have to have a new stadium. So the belief is here that this would avoid the need for a domed stadium, and this is part of the reason MLB has has greenlit this potential opportunity, uh, that both Tampa Bay and Montreal would be able to save money uh, by not having domed stadiums under this arrangement. Uh, and I want to comment on that piece a little bit because I think that's very short-sighted. If I'm MLB, if I'm Tampa Bay Rays and I'm, I'm Montreal, I'm really not okay with that because that is telling me that we're only thinking about the first three to five years of this arrangement. But what if in year five we realize that Montreal is the place to be? 
And if that's the case, now you don't have a dome stadium and you're not wanting to be in Tampa Bay anymore, but you've got April weather in Montreal. I don't think this is a really good way to have, I, I don't think this was a good, good reason to have approved this. That said, I do think that this is an amazing opportunity for Montreal. I think this is an opportunity to bring baseball back to Montreal. They will have to support this team, regardless of the fact that it's only half there. And, and that's going to be a challenge, I think, because there's going to be that attitude that, well, it's still not our team. Uh, I just see that happening in Montreal. Uh, They won't be able to be fully invested. And when you're not fully invested, it's going to look like, this is not something that they're going to support. And I don't think that's fair to the citizens of Montreal. I think it's something that they would support if it was their team. So for me, I'm not in love with this idea other than the fact that it brings baseball back to Montreal for half of the summer. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be, that's going to be nice to the fans of Montreal. But like you said, I mean, Montreal, we see how passionate they are about the Montreal Canadians, right? And how it's their team with the, uh, Montreal Bay x-rays. They wouldn't be you're not gonna <laughs> react to my... x-rays. I love it. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't be fully Montreal's team. Yes, Montreal would get half of the season, but it's only half of the season. It would also be partially Tampa Bay's team. So it'll be interesting to see how the fans of Montreal would adapt to that. And back to the roof thing, you know what? If they, if the MLB approved this plan because of the fact that, they're, that both parks wouldn't need roofs, it's, that it's because the Tampa Bay Rays presented them, this is what I believe, it's because the Tampa Bay Rays presented them with a sustainable plan for 20 years of playing in two cities. Because otherwise, there is no reason that a two-city team would work. Tampa Bay must have had an idea that this could actually work. They could play half their games in Tampa, half their games in Montreal, maybe get more attendance in Montreal than they would in Tampa at the moment, or maybe get more attendance in Tampa because they know that they have to cram all of their visits to Tropicana Field or whatever the future field may be into the first half of the season. So it could lead to more attendance numbers, higher attendance numbers in Tampa Bay and higher attendance numbers in Montreal because they're all crammed into, what, 40, 40 games? Well, um, number one, number one the, the, the one thing that I, at least in the articles that I've read so far, is that the stipulation here is that neither the TROP or the Big O are allowed to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So this has to be a new stadium in Tampa Bay and a new stadium in Montreal. But where I'd love to turn back to your take on this, which is a great take, is uh, if that's the case, then you're probably right because it's going to have to be 20 years to make a new stadium worth it in either venue, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Tampa Bay is not going to pay for a new stadium for five years of baseball and, and same with Montreal. I mean, you're going to have to see 20 years of this. There hasn't been a lot of major league sport. In fact, there's very little. I, I remember there was an, um, an example. And I can't think of it now, Dylan, in the article, but there was an example of, of one scenario where there was, um, two venues for a, a major league team, but that that was a it wasn't even a major league team. I think it was a mediocre team at best, and and this is really unprecedented. This is out mm-hmm. there, but that's typical Tampa Bay, right? I mean, that's <laughs> everything they do. You know, they're the ones they're the ones that started this whole opener. 
And, you know, now they're going to start something that, hey, let's play in two different cities and see what, what happens there. I mean, Tampa Bay is a little innovative this way. And, <laughs> and why not? Let's take a look. And you're right. I mean, maybe it is a 20-year agreement. It would have to be because if the MLB is telling them, no, you can't play in the Trop and you can't play in the Big O, both areas have to have a new stadium, then – yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think this would be something that would be extensive, Well, whether it be 10 or 20 years. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because I think it'd be great for Montreal to have baseball there again. And Tampa Bay would need a new stadium, obviously, and it, it could benefit their attendance numbers uh, there at the, at the Trop and attendance numbers but in it- Montreal. And, but I won't. And that's, that's, that's one of the, the challenges I see happening here with this particular arrangement. I think you have a great chance at having great attendance in Montreal. And the arrangement, of course, for those that haven't read it yet, is that most games in the April-May range would be played in Tampa Bay. And then somewhere in mid-June, they'd move to Montreal for the remainder of the season. Playoffs have yet to be determined. And, and that's great I don't think you're going to get any additional support in St. Petersburg, Florida, or Tampa Bay, or wherever you put this stadium. I don't think you're going to get a single extra fan from this arrangement. So for me, this is more an exploratory. If I'm, if I'm the owners of the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a quick and easy way to start exploring Montreal. So stay with me on this one. You're telling MLB you want to play half your season in St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa Bay, and half in Montreal. But that just gets them to allow you to open the door to look at Montreal. Once you look at Montreal, you go and you probably will find that the Montreal populace will support a Montreal team full time. And when you find that, you can go back to MLB and say, look, what we discovered is we might just want to play the whole season here. And MLB will say, well, wait a minute, that wasn't this was about. But then they're going to turn around and say, yeah, but you gave us the okay. And out of that study, we've discovered Montreal can handle a entire team. I see this as a bit of a manipulation of the <laughs> league to be able to go and take a look at Montreal. And that is your hot take of the evening. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. You know, I mean, I'd love to see a two team, two city team. It'd be interesting to see how they how they work. But it's very I, interesting. It's I, an interesting yeah. concept. And I think that uh, that your idea could is certainly uh, a real possibility. I think it could be something that they're doing because obviously Montreal is going to draw out bigger attendance numbers than Tampa Bay. You would hope. At this well, point. yeah. Well, you know, considering they haven't had an MLB team since what two thousand four, two thousand five. They'd yeah, and again, but they're going to have to, but that's a good point. And they're going to have to prove that it's beyond a three-year thing. I mean, you know, MLB is going to be happy. They know that for the first three years of wherever they put a team, they could put a team in Stratford, Ontario, <laughs> and it's going to sell out for the first three years because people are going to just travel in to see it. It's when you get to year four, year five, year ten, that you still want to see, and, and I know people will turn around and look look at tonight's Jays attendance of 16,000, 17,000 and say, you're not even getting that in Toronto. And I get that. But MLB is going to want to be able to put at least 20,000 people in the seats every year 
And... Well, you're going to be able to do that if you have a good plan for winning. And it seems the Tampa Bay Rays can do that because Montreal supports a winner. Almost every year you see the Montreal Canadiens have a decent year. So last year or two years ago, they, they were terrible. But last year they bounced back with a, with a good year, 94 points. You know, So Montreal only supports winning teams. It's 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 a known yeah, thing Toronto's about Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, like you like you said, Toronto's the same. So, if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, you have a good plan and you have a good farm system built up to succeed. So I'd assume that they would get the fans to come out in Montreal because they look like they could be a winner. And if you have a winning team, Montreal will support that team just like most other cities. But Montreal will go on above and will go above and beyond for that team. They won't just show up with 10,000 fans a game like they did in, in the end of the Expos days. Yeah, but they did that when the Expos were like 700,000 years old. And that's my point, right, is, is, is they showed up for the Expos in the early going. Montreal proves that no problem. And, and probably for the first 20 years of the Expos, they showed up. But there's a point where they hit a wall. Okay. And, and now, again, that's a winning thing. You're right. That's a winning thing. And that's where the Blue Jays also struggle because now we're at a point where we're in the Paul Godfrey days of 100 losses and and it's not looking good for attendance this year for the Jays. So I get that. And, and I do get that. But I feel like the Jays over the years have really made a better effort and Montreal will have to do the same to fielding competitive teams eventually. And you might say, well, no, they went 20-some-odd years without a competitive team, and I get that. But those were, again, the Paul Godfrey days where it was all about, you know, what is Ted Rogers saying? What is, you know, what is the corporate shill way of running a team? And when when Paul Beeston returned and Alex Anthopoulos ultimately came into play, that's when you finally turned back to the old days where – you know, the team was actually trying to win. Uh, Montreal has to do the same. They have to do the same, and they have to do it consistently because I agree with you, Montreal, like Toronto, will only support a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, for sure. But you mentioned that when the, they stopped supporting when Montreal was like 100 years old. Well, the Montreal Canadiens are literally 110 years old. But they've won Stanley Cups. Yes. So what I'm saying never is, never won a World Series. I know, but and, and and there you go. You just played into my point that the, the team, the the city will support a winner if Tampa Bay has a good plan to win, which it seems they do. The the fans will be out there supporting it every day. They'll be out at every game, right? So maybe you do move to Montreal. Maybe you don't play in two cities. Maybe you do just move to Montreal. And your theory is correct. Moving on to another attendance problem: the Blue Jays' attendance problem. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird segue, but we'll what do you mean it's a weird segue? We're talking about attendance, and you know what? We're we're <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. Yeah, and we already touched a little bit upon the Blue Jays' attendance, so yeah, good good segue. Yes, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, this the team isn't good, and there are a few fans at Rogers Center. Um, they're not showing up, and I don't necessarily blame them, but the fact that the Canada Day game is nowhere near sold out, there's an issue there. So how can the Blue Jays fix this? Well, winning. I mean, the, the, the reality is, and it's not going to happen this year. We all know that. Uh, you know, Dylan, I, I've been a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays since the mid-80s, since I could even become a fan of a baseball team. And 
this has happened before. This is nothing new for me. It's newer for you. Although you were, you did see some bad years in your young Blue Jay fan years, but uh, but I mean, in your most cognizant Blue Jay fan years, that they were getting better, and that have ultimately went back to the playoffs. And I'm thrilled you got to see that. My point is, this looks very, very familiar, and I'm a little worried because. This looks Paul Godfrey-ish. And and Paul Godfrey, when he was president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, had zero interest in winning the World Series. And he'll tell you differently, but he had zero interest in it. It was all about the bottom line. I feel as though Mark Shapiro might be leaning the same way. He's very corporate right now, although he is a more baseball-minded person than Paul Godfrey ever was, so I will give him that. But uh, I just don't see effort here. And and I know this is a, the conversation where you're going to say, well, what, where is it that you don't see the effort? The effort is not being made in pitching. The effort is not being made in moving this along a little faster. And some people will argue that with Kevin Biggio being here and Vladdy Jr. being here already, that yes, they are trying to push this along a little faster. They haven't backed those kids up with anybody. They haven't backed them up with anybody. They're learning nothing right now because there's no veterans, save for Freddie Galvis out there, that could really tell them anything about the game of baseball as it pertains to the major leagues. This will be a detriment to attendance for years and years to come if they don't fix it at the trade deadline, and especially if they don't fix it in the new year when they start signing free agents. Yeah, I mean, they need pitching, obviously, right? It's no, it's no secret. But I don't. I mean, Nate Pearson, he's a good pitcher. But we were talking to Scott MacArthur the other day. He was saying, right, that 102 consistently coming out of your arm for six innings throwing 50 pitches at least at 100 miles an hour, that takes a toll on your arm. And he could be a walking Tommy John with elbow issues because of how hard he throws. Um, so there is no pitching, obviously, right? But the thing is, you, you, you mentioned making an effort. And you know what? What we should have done was trade Josh Donaldson. And obviously, the Josh Donaldson situation was not ideal, right? So you only got a fringe prospect for him. And he wasn't fantastic in Cleveland, but you could have gotten a fringe pitching prospect for him. And you didn't, you went out and you got, I believe an outfielder, not sure about that, but I believe an outfielder It wasn't a pitcher. I know that for sure. And uh, you know what? You look at the pieces that they have now, who is going to get you good pitching? Ken Giles, probably Marcus Stroman, probably. But who else? No one. No one on this team is going to net you good pitching. Yeah, but whose fault is that, Dylan? And this, this speaks to the exact point I'm trying to make, is that that lack of depth and that lack of results has handcuffed this organization potentially for years to come. And that's my problem is that there isn't anybody that's going to fetch you that pitching depth you wanted. 
and you're not going to find it in free agency unless you spend an absolute ton of money, and you're not going to do that because the rest of the roster is not ready for that. So now what do you do? There is no solution here. Well, you now it, it have seems to start that... shooting. No, but th- listen, you no, I'm now not... have to start batting fish out of the water now, like a bear. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to start shooting into the water and hope you shoot a fish, and and that's terrible because I've seen this before. I've seen this process before, right? There's nobody, as far as depth, that is going to fetch you the pitching you need to turn this into a winner. And it's going to be years if they don't find a way to fix this. Well, it seems that what Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro are doing is they're trying to draft, and we talked to Scott MacArthur about this, is they're trying to draft middle infielders mostly because they can play other positions. You know a position they can't play? Pitcher. So the, I'm complete, I, I completely agree with you. The, they need to make more of an effort to go – get pitching because they have not done it in the past. And this is where you're going to have to start signing people in free agency because you have no depth at the pitching on the pitching side of things. And it is very hard to attract free agents to Toronto. I know there's the big market with the fans, but a lot of, a lot of players don't want to have to cross the border every week, every two weeks. Yeah. But in this day and age, Dylan, I don't buy that anymore. I don't because some of these prospects that you draft and develop in your own system have no choice, but to be here because you did that. You look at an Alec Manoa. You think he doesn't want to play for the Yankees? Of course he does, but he got drafted by the blue Jays and he's going to make the best out of the blue Jays time. He has, if you develop him, right. He could be an ace potentially. Right. Or he could be a really strong bullpen arm. I mean, we really don't even know what this guy is yet, but I'm not using him specifically other than to just point him out. And that is that these guys have no choice. A Vladdy Jr. Yeah, he's going to get a lot more publicity in Boston than he's going to get here. But he has to be here because we he's homegrown here. Right. And he's going to have to be here for six, seven years. You've got to be able to develop players like that. You've got to be able to acquire players like that where they start out in the young system and they have to play here. And that's the way you're going to win. Yeah, and I understand that. But you still have to get pitchers out of free agency. Like, I understand that that's not your ideal scenario. But with where the Blue Jays are right now, the only way that they're able to dig themselves out of this mess because they have no pitching depth at all they are going to be forced to go out and sign players in free agency. And we've seen that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have a reluctancy to do that. We saw it after 2015 when they took over. They didn't really go after anyone with a strong push uh, to sign them. So they are going to have to go out there and sign pitching or trade for pitching with some of the guys that you have in the system. And that's where... No, but listen, listen. That's where your young prospects come into play the guys that you think are really good but they're not vladdies you're gonna have to kibosh the next wave to the next wave and send them to other teams to get that i agree with that i agree with but but with your free agent signing theory i disagree because you're not going to be able to sign any of them and and neither did alex i mean he brought in marco estrada jay Happ right these were not guys that were aces he got his ace out of a trade in david price right so and again that speaks exactly to your point but he had to use that minor league depth 
to get David Price. Mark Shapiro doesn't believe in that. And that's going to be the problem. He has said from day one he disagreed with what Alex did. That's partially the reason Alex isn't here. But Mark Shapiro is going to find out very quickly that that was the only way that Alex Anthopoulos could have done what he did. Because in Toronto, it's a different market. You can't be Mark Shapiro of the Cleveland Indians. You have to be Mark Shapiro of the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's going to mean parting with depth that you don't want to part with. But if he's unwilling to do that, it's not going to work. It's just the way it is. It speaks perfectly to your point. Free agents, major free agents, are not going to come here. So, yes, you'll get your J-Habs. Yes, you'll get your Marco Estradas. But you're going to have to either develop the talent, which Alex, I will give him that, did as well with Marcus Stroman, and potentially Aaron Sanchez, because he did have a good 2016, and really a 2015 in the bullpen. But he, he really hit the mark when he acquired David Price. And yes, he had to deal from the minor league depth. Mark Shapiro does not want to do that. And as long as he holds that firm ground, it's not going to happen in this city. And you know what? I completely agree with it, so let's leave it at that. This has been episode 33 of 211's Baseball Talk, and what a wonderful episode it was for <laughs> us. positive. Hello, for everybody. Us to Rainbows and unicorns. Yes, it was, it, was, it was a fantastic episode. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you tune in once again next week for episode 34 to see what other ways you find to put a negative spin on everything. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Happy episode week, 33 everybody. of 211's Baseball Talk. We hope you had a wonderful week, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Fireproof, Coleman Hell, walking you out. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>